You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Easter, he's risen. Wonderful, wonderful to see you all. I know I got one, uh, one frantic text 30 minutes ago. Hey, we're not having Sunday school this morning, are we? It's like, well, of course we are, right? That's right, of course we are. Um, so I'm glad you all made it um, and, and are here this morning. Let's open our time in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we thank you on this morning as we remember particularly um, why we worship on this first day of the week. What has changed, and that is Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And so in light of that great resurrection, we come to you this morning, come to learn from you, from your word, and uh, from those in the past who have much wisdom to share with us. And so we pray that as we study your word and, um, and these truths this morning, that you would enlighten our eyes and that we would see the glory of Christ even more and our great need of him. So bless us, we pray. We thank you, Lord. And we also remember our church planters this morning. Uh, as we do in this class, we pray for them as they gather this Easter morning, uh, that they would uh, glorify the risen Christ and that you would bring a new people to, uh, into their congregations. Even today, those who uh, may be looking for a place to worship on Easter, I pray that this would be an opportunity to reach the lost and to reach others who don't normally uh, attend church. So bless them, we pray this morning. And we pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we continue through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and we come to two questions this morning, 83 and 84. We have copies of the Shorter Catechism. If you don't have one with you or don't want to pull a digital file up or a digital copy up, um, anybody, would anybody like a copy? Anybody? It does match my tie. Somebody did make that note recently when I wore this tie that it matched the the catechism. Um, All right. Well, let's turn to question 83. And actually, no, let's turn to question 84 because I'm going to take these out of order. I'm going to take them backwards uh, in reverse order this morning. Um, so you remember in, our, in the catechism where we are, uh, we've gone through uh, what God requires of man, and that is uh, to keep God's law, the Ten Commandments. We worked through an exposition of all the Ten Commandments, what God requires of us. And then last week, uh, question 82, is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? No, no mere man is able to do that. And so we come to these next two questions that say, okay, so what? What does it mean that we can't keep it? And then um, really next week we get the great uh we get the great question and answer that there is a way to escape uh, what is coming. So hopefully uh, we're not stuck too deep in in the mire today, but it is full of um, not good news for us uh, because of our disobedience to God. So again, let's take these out of order. Let's start with question 84, and maybe my my reasoning will become clear a little bit later while I'm taking these out of order. We'll go to question 84 and, and work through this first. So 
84. What doth every sin deserve? And we'll stop there. Remember the definition of what is sin. Um, it's if you don't conform yourself to God's law, whether you do something to break it or whether you don't do something that God's law requires of you. And we went through uh, all the Ten Commandments and all of them said, what is forbidden? So what can you not do? And then what does it require? So all the commandments require something positively, positively of us. So sin, anytime we sin, is anytime we don't do what God's law requires or anytime we break God's law. So what does it deserve? Every sin deserveth God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. God's wrath and curse in this life and in that which is to come. So um, we have a number of concepts here that we'll just we'll work through um, one by one as we answer this question. I think this question, though, is pretty well answered in, uh, in Bible-preaching evangelical churches of our day. So I'm not sure this question is really on the minds of people today as they were on the minds of the divines when they wrote this, uh, wrote this question and answer. The, the divines, not that they're divine or they're God or anything like that. That's just what they called learned uh, theologians back in the day. And uh, so the divines, when they wrote this, they had a particular issue in mind that we'll get to in a moment. But I do think today the church is pretty good on this answer. Every sin deserves judgment now and for eternity. But let's look at a few of these ideas. First is it deserves God's wrath and curse. Uh, wrath is just anger. It's anger that is justified. Um, it's the action of righteous judgment, that righteous judgment in action that is wrath. We see this several places in Scripture, John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Wrath of God if you are not looking to Christ. Colossians 3, 6. On account of these, it was just a litany of sins that he had just gone through. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God's wrath and judgment. and But it also says wrath and curse. So this curse... Um, it, I was thinking like, okay, when you define a curse, what, what is a curse? If you try to define it, how would you define it? Um, and I was getting a little bit tripped up, so Oxford English Dictionary helped me here. Uh, a cur to curse somebody is to utter against a person or a thing words which consign or are intended or supposed to consign them to evil, spiritual or temporal, as the wrath of God or the uh, malignity of fate, or the other uh, definition is to damn. So it's to utter something, utter um, a, a uh, what was the language? Um, to utter words to consign somebody to spiritual or temporal um, uh, evil, temporal or tem spiritual or temporal evil. So it's a statement that you are uh, you are cursed. To, to curse somebody is a statement that you are under evil. You are under, or the other language here that's shorter is, it's a statement of damnation, is to damn somebody. That is a curse. That is what a curse is doing, these words. And so some, somebody who sins, that sin deserves wrath and God's curse. Wrath, his just anger, his curse, his damnation. Galatians 3 uh, dis discusses this. Uh, I'll read verses 3 and 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you don't do all the things, you are cursed. 
And then later, uh, a few verses later, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So if you rely on the works of the law, if you do not keep the law perfectly, you are cursed. And then uh, Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, so this is the, the, the judgment scene, uh, he, God, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These are the curses, um, eternal fire, eternal damnation. And so the question is, right, this wrath and curse, um, this eternal judgment, as Jesus says there in Matthew, why is it so significant, right? Every sin, this is every sin, this is the smallest sin, the smallest thought in your mind, the smallest desire that you didn't even know you had inside of you that wells up at some point in time, to the largest offense, to murdering, to apostatizing. All of these sins require God's wrath and curse, you are under God's wrath and curse for every single sin. So the question is why, both, both for the large and the smaller sins, we'll talk about that in a minute, why are they all treated the same in God's eyes? And it's because sin, as the larger catechism says, sin is an assault on God's sovereignty, goodness, and holiness. In fact, his infinite sovereignty, infinite goodness, and infinite holiness. And so Every sin, even the smallest sin, is an attack on someone infinitely valuable. And so that attack on the infinitely valuable God deserves an infinite punishment as well. And so that is why every sin, and Pastor Wright says this frequently and often, the desert of sin is harsh because every sin is an attack on an infinitely holy God. So every sin, no matter the smallest, no matter the greatest, it requires this. Um, but it's interesting. I love the phrase. Often we think of the desert of sin being in the future, right? We're going to get our punishment for sin or apart from Christ, we would receive the punishment for sin in the future. But this says we receive God's wrath and curse in this life. Let me read a few places. Uh, actually, these are, are restatements of, of things we've read mostly. Um, John 3.36 says, the wrath of God remains on him. Who is Those who are in sin, the wrath of God remains on him. So wrath is a current reality for those who are in sin, apart from Christ. Galatians 3.10 says they are under a curse. Under a curse. Um, that John 2.17 is not correct. Um, on the, up there on the um, scripture references. So it is a present reality. Wrath and curse is present. And you go back to Genesis 2.17. This is where God is warning Adam and Eve against sin. And he says, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So there's that wrath and punishment, that curse is due to you the day you sin. You shall surely die. And so what happens? Um, we often say, well, it's spiritual death. And we think physical, well, that's coming. But no, the physical death was due the very moment they sinned. But what God is doing is he's holding that judgment in abeyance. That judgment still hangs over the sinner's head, 
But he's holding that judgment in abeyance so that he can redeem a people, so that the world is not immediately wiped out, so that it can lead to his, him showing his grace and mercy to his people. But nevertheless, that wrath and curse is due now, and even Scripture says, in a sense, it is being received now by all those in sin. Um, but the greatest is that wrath and curse that is to come. And we see that in Matthew 25, 41 that we read earlier. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So it is future-oriented, but it is present now. There is wrath and curse on the unbeliever right now. For all of our sin, it deserves that wrath and curse. Um, But the reason it's not on God's people is what Galatians said. Christ became a curse for us. The curse that we deserve even now has been put upon Christ. We'll stop there. I'm going to touch one more point here before we move on. Um, But I'll stop there for comments and questions here. Mary Alice. Two-parter. Number one, the curse that is on the unbeliever now manifests itself how. And secondly, when David cried out to the Lord, Right, that's right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's good. Um, yeah, so how is the curse practically on them right now? Um, well, I do think, so the Christian, I've made this point before, the Christian does not experience the wrath of God as far as judgment because Christ has experienced the judgment on behalf of his people. However, non-believers do experience judgment in this life for their sin. So there's temporal judgment that does befall unbelievers in a way that if it befalls the Christian, it's, it's not judgment, but it is God disciplining or chastising us or, or drawing us back to him. But for the unbeliever, those, those events are not discipline. Those events are actually judgment upon them. There, it is not a merciful thing so that they would come back to Christ or come to Christ. Now, if they're elect, it is. But if they're not, it is not to draw them back to Christ. So every uh, difficulty in their life is a judgment upon them. It's a judgment on sin. Every uh, trial and temptation is judgment upon them. And we'll actually see um, in Romans in a little bit, their sin itself is a judgment. Um, And the deeper and deeper they fall into sin is judgment because it's making them experience the horrors of this world. Um, But... uh, I think the worst judgment on them is the guilt of their sin that they feel because it's, it's reminding them of the punishment that is to come. They can't carry their sin forever. They know that there has to be some reckoning for their sin, and everyone understands guilt. There's no person who is so dead in, uh, in their heart. Um, we're all dead ultimately in our heart, but there's so, no, nobody who's so numb is maybe the right word, who does not sense that God is there, again, this is Romans 1, and that they are sinning against him. And so they, they are carrying a great load on their shoulders. And that in and of itself is a curse that they cannot pay. And they will receive the final ultimate judgment for it, finally. Yeah, the seared conscience is judgment. Is judgment upon them. To a lesser, yeah, to the, to a lesser degree, but they're experiencing that curse in other ways because being in sin is not enjoyable or pleasurable. So they might appear, like Psalm 73, like you talked about. David said, oh, they're all sleek and fat, right? The unbelievers are all sleek and fat. They get what they want. Life is great for them. But reality is, it's not. 
It's not, it might look like it from the outside. They may pretend that they may pretend for a while that it's that all is well, but it's not. Deep inside, they know it's not. Um, and there's judgment coming. And living in sin, though, is in itself not pleasurable and not good and not enjoyable. And so even if you are look good uh, from the outside, living in sin, there's still deep turmoil and distress that's being experienced. That's right. Yeah. When you think about like the, you know, wishing evil upon somebody, mm-hmm. wishing damnation, and somebody's hurt you, and that's the natural. That's right. And the, the bless is not just, it's actually actively wishing good that's right. instead. Right. Yeah. J- Jesus said, and I'm just repeating for y'all to hear Jesus said, um, if, if your enemies, if they harm you, bless and do not curse. That's the natural like, tendency to, to get back at them. Because God says, look, vengeance is mine. It's not for you to repay. You are to love them and pursue them and to care for them. And ultimately, there will be vengeance and there will be judgment. But that's not on you to do. We don't carry out God's judgment um, in that way. Yeah. Right. So, so justice is not vengeance. So seeking justice in this world. So somebody uh, steals money from you. It is okay to press charges. That's okay. But you seek their good ultimately. And pressing charges is, is a just thing. Now, if you go in the middle of the night and, you know, pillage their house, okay, that's vengeance. That's not what we're called to do. But we can pursue justice and forgiveness at the same time. Those things are not incompatible. And we can pursue justice and love at the same time. Those are not incompatible. But just, but love and vengeance is. Um, and so we're, we can't be a, vengeance, uh, a vengeful people, a, a people who curse others. Yeah, John? Right. Uh, um, only, it only makes sense when he saw their end. That's right. That's right. Um, and also the, the, the sick saying, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's right. Yeah. So then, uh, how, how do those mm-hmm. line up with what you said? Sin is not pleasurable. Right. Right. Say, yeah. Yeah. If, if for this life, only be both in Christ. That's right. Sin is Right. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, because the act of sin may be pleasurable in and of itself. It may be a, a fleshly pleasure, but it's going to um, ultimately lead to further harm and damage. So it may be, it may be pleasurable in the moment, but long term, it's never going to be pleasurable. Um, you know, like a, um, an affair may be pleasurable in the moment, for somebody, but long term, he's wrecking his life, his marriage, his children. Like he's reaping or he's sowing seeds that he's going to reap later that are horrendous and terrible for his life, for his children, for his family. So I think we need to distinguish between like the immediate pleasure. Yeah, it's pleasurable in the moment, but it's going to lead to a lot of chaos and difficulty and confusion in your life. Um, and then ultimately, when you put it in the perspective of the end, um, there's no hope any longer. And so there is no pleasure in it because of, because of what, what we know is coming. Let me, uh, let me 
hit one more point here um, that, again, isn't so relevant today, but it was most more relevant uh, in the time of the Reformation combating the Roman Catholic Church. And this statement here, this really brief statement we just read, is combating a view of sin held by the Roman Catholic Church, where they distinguish between small and big sins. Um, and they'll say small sins don't um, lead to separating you from God, and you're, they're kind of okay. Those are called venial sins. But big sins, mortal sins, every time you do one, you have to go, uh, go do the sacrament of penance uh, to kind of work off that debt that you just incurred uh, so that then you can get back in God's good graces. So if you don't confess mortal sins, you will, if you die, having not confessed a mortal sin, you will die and go to hell. But if you have done simple venial sins, you will die and you'll be okay because you can still have God's grace to cover that. And so they distinguish between large and small sins in this way to say they don't all deserve God's judgment. Some, yes, they're judged in a different way. They all do receive judgment in a sense, but they're treated differently in our experience in the Christian life. Some create an actual barrier between us and God that we must work off through penance and the other sacraments. Some don't create that same barrier and they're more acceptable. So they call them mortal, which are serious, and the venial sins. Um, and they still confess this today. Uh, the Roman Catholic Catechism, you can look at sections 1874 and 1875. I don't want to read them here. Um, unless somebody's really interested, but yes. They don't list them. So what they say, they're defined by the character and nature of these. Um, So I'll read it. Um, So to commit a mortal sin is to choose deliberately, that is both knowing it and willing it, something gravely contrary to the divine law and to the ultimate end of man. This destroys, uh, destroys in us the charity without which eternal beatitude is impossible. Unrepented, it brings eternal death. So you have to know it and will it, and it has to be gravely contrary to the divine law and to the ultimate end of man. That's a mortal sin. A venial sin is anything less. Venial sins constitute a moral disorder that is repairable by charity, which it allows to subsist in us. So venial sins don't destroy charity in us, um, and charity can overcome it, love. Um, But then mortal sins, it destroys charity and it puts that wall between us and God. We must repent and do penance um, before we're accepted before God again. So it doesn't list them out. I'm sure somebody's listed them out somewhere at some point. I don't know. Um, but it's more to the character and nature of the sin and your intent in doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. I was not ignoring my wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. We'll do marriage counseling with you later, Rob. Thanks. <laughs> All right, let's go to question 83. So we'll back it up. So even a oh. sociopath, somewhere deep within, gets it or feels it. We'll come back to that in a moment. We'll come back to that. <laughs> even a sociopath understands sin. Um, we'll come back to that. I'm going to read in just a moment. Let's go to 83. And this, I think, is the more pointed um, issue for today. Um, nobody debated this, again, back at the time of the Reformation when this was being written uh, in the 1600s. Um, nobody debated this point, but today it's highly debated. I think the evangelical church has missed this point overall. So um, let's look at 83. Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? 
some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God than others? So the answer is yes. And it doesn't really give you anything beyond that. Yes, you have to go to larger catechism to get that, uh, which we'll unpack in a moment. But the answer is yes, some sins are more heinous than others. I want to read two passages of scripture here. The first is Matthew 23, 23. Woe, this is Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees because they, they, they put in order all the little things, all the little things of the tithing of the, you know, the little dill they get in their, in their garden and they cut them up little tiny bits, make sure they give 10% to the, to the priests. They did the tiny little things and they made the show of it and let everybody know we did our tithing right. But Jesus' point is, look, there's weightier matters here. Yes, this is important, and you obey all of God's law. All of God's law, as we just said, if we disobey any point of it, we deserve God's wrath and curse. But Jesus is saying, look, you're missing the big point. You're missing the weightier matters. There are big issues here that you're totally forgetting. They're not pursuing, what was it? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. They did the teeny tiny little things that's easy to put in a box and say and check it and say, I did it. You're refusing to submit your whole self to God and pursue justice and mercy and faithfulness. So Jesus, even here in the statement, is indicating there's weightier matters even in the law. Uh, some matters are more weighty than others. Some sins are more heinous than others. He's not, Jesus even says, look, you, have, you ought to have done the little ones. Yes, good, but do the big ones. Those are even more important. You're neglecting these weightier matters. And then I want to go to Ro, uh, Romans chapter one. If you have your Bible, let's go to Romans one. Um, we're going to read verse 18 through 32. So it's a little lengthier than we normally do. But I think this is a really helpful passage in establishing some truths, you know, the sociopath, uh, what's going on with the sociopath, um, what's going on in all of us, in all of our hearts, and how even sin itself is that wrath and curse that we've talked about earlier. It is God's judgment upon us, um, upon sinners, those apart from Christ. And what we see here in this passage is a, is a downward fall the, uh, 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 in, in, one's, uh, in one's life. Another way, to, uh, probably a better way to say it is we see the increasing heinousness of sin as we progress through this passage. And so I want to read it. I'm not going to do a ton of commentary on it. But I want to read it so we can see what this is like. When, we, when it begins with a little sin of denying God, but it leads to great outward demonstration of sin as well. Um, and I say little sin of denial of God. I say little in that it's in your heart, but then it manifests itself in large ways in your life. Uh, Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So stop there. Every person knows God, period, is Paul's statement. No matter who you are, because of creation, you know God. 
And we can go into a lot there, and there's a whole lot of, of depth there that we can pursue another time. But the reality is, everybody, I don't care who you are, you are imprinted with God's image. Actually, step further, you are God's image, and therefore, you know God. You know God internally, you know God from the world that he's made. You know he's there, but as he said in verse 18, you suppress that truth. You suppress it. Let's keep going. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. So we began, began with not honoring, not giving thanks, and then their thinking's distorted. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they're growing in that callousness in their hearts. They're being darkened more and more. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So instead of worshiping God, they're now creating idols and images that they're bowing down to that reflect creation. These things that declare God's glory, they're now worshiping them as an in and of themselves. So they're beginning idol worship here. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the, than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Very clearly, he says, they worshiped the creatures, not God. Therefore, God gave them up to sin. And he's gonna talk about what that sin is in a moment. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Oh, my page slipped, flip back. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So you see what's here is there's a denial or a failure to recognize God, not worshiping him. Then they worship idols. And it says, therefore, the judgment for that is now I'm giving you up to homosexuality. That's a judgment upon people who reject God. Now, dealing with same-sex attraction and these kinds of things, again, this is not an unforgivable sin. There's a lot we want to do and walk alongside of people who are struggling with these things. Absolutely. But his point here is that this is downstream, it doesn't begin here. This isn't the first sin. And then, um, again, verse 32 is, is shocking. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They do. Sinners know this. Somewhere in the recesses of their hearts, no matter how much they want to uh, uh, suppress it, it is there. They know it. And they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So it's not just practicing in the shadow, not just sin in the, in the corner, but it's actually saying, yes, this is a good thing. You do it with me. So we see this progression of sin. We see there's a heinousness, uh, a growth in heinousness from lesser to greater, as Paul says in Romans 1. Okay, there's a lot there. I don't, I don't, there's a lot there. I don't want to go, I don't want to spend too much time on that verse or on that passage. Um, let's keep going for a few minutes and then we can come back to that. I want to highlight what Westminster Larger Catechism 151 says about aggravations of sin. What makes sin more heinous than others? 
And I think they did, they did a very good job of helping lay this out. So I'm going to lay out what the catechism says, and then we can stop and, and discuss all this. So the first aggravation is the person offending. So a, a sin becomes more, more heinous based on who does it. So if a leader does it, it's more heinous than if somebody who's not a leader does it. Um, so the scribes and the Pharisees, right? It was more heinous for them to sin than it was for a common Israelite to sin. Um, Somebody's older, it's more heinous. Uh, somebody who's more mature in the faith. Um, somebody who is a guide to others, it's more heinous for them to do it. Um, and so it's the person offending. Really, the, the greater position that they have, the more heinous the sin is. And we, and we know that, right? It's a, it's a big deal if the CEO of your company steals money. That's a bigger deal than if the secretary is stealing money from the company, right? Um, both bad. We're not, we're not getting anybody off the hook here, but it's a greater seriousness, greater heinousness um, based on the person offending. The second one is the person offended. So who are you offending in this? Um, so if, we're, if we are sinning directly against God, all sin is against God, but if it's a violation of, uh, let's see, the, the second commandment, right? Uh, if we now start carving images of who the Father is in our basement um, and now worshiping that, that's an affront to God directly, and so that's a greater offense uh, than, than offending others. Um, offending God against God, his attributes, uh, an offense against worship, um, offending Christ, offending the Holy Spirit against superiors. So uh, it is a bigger sin to spit upon the president of the United States uh, than it is to spit upon you know, somebody who's uh, just mere citizens like you and I. Um, you're the greater position, it is a greater sin because of the office. It is a greater sin to, uh, to disrespect them than it is to disrespect somebody else. Um, but it's also true in the other way uh, against children, the younger, the person who's unable to protect themselves is a greater sin against them as well. That's why you know, Jesus says it's better that a millstone be put around your neck and you're thrown into the, into the lake uh, than you to lead a child astray. It's a serious sin to lead a child astray, to harm a child. That's very heinous. Um, there's a lot here I'm skipping over. And then we'll go to the third one. So the person offending, the person offended, the nature and quality of the offense. This is great language we commonly use every day, right? Um, so uh, here's what the catechism says. If it be against the express letter of the law... Break any commandments, contain in it many sins. So this is the nature. So if, if you murder, right, that's what the commandment says, thou shalt not murder. That is very heinous compared to um, these other implications we've talked about, like anger in your heart. That is less heinous than outright murder. Um, and... Uh, Punching somebody in the face is less heinous than outright murder. We, I think we naturally get this and understand this. Um, but I think we haven't done a good job explaining it, and, and we'll get to the payoff here in a few minutes. Why does this matter? Um, here it says it's more heinous if it's against the light of nature or against... Um, against nature itself. There's a natural order to the world. If we're going doing something contrary to that natural order, that's more heinous uh, than other kinds of sins. Um, if we're doing something, um, if against the uh, censures of the church or against um, conviction of conscience, against uh, civil punishments, all of these things make uh, sin more heinous. Things that are done deliberately, willfully, presumptuously, imprudently, boastingly, maliciously, frequently, obstinately, with delight, 
Uh, all these things make sin more heinous. And then the final one is from circumstances of time and place. So the, the larger catechism actually says a sin is more heinous if it's performed on the Lord's day. And I think that's right because this is the day set aside to God. It's set aside. It's a holy day, a sacred time for him. So it's more heinous if we do it on the Lord's day. This is a day particularly where we are called to honor and worship God. Uh, it's, if you do something publicly, it's more heinous than a private sin. Um, these sorts of things are contained here in circumstance of time. All right, before we get to the why does it matter, I'll pause here for discussion. Mm-hmm. That's right. Is, is it not more how they choose to resolve it versus the identification of one versus the other? Right. So, yeah. So what's the difference between this and the Roman Catholic view? Well, the difference is we say even the least heinous of all sins, that little fleeting thought in your heart that you will never give any moment of attention to, that will never work itself out publicly, that nobody will ever know, that still condemns you to hell. Whereas the Roman Catholics will say, it's okay, move on. Actually, they'll even say that kind of, there's a kind of, uh, an idea called concupiscence. They would say it's actually not, uh, you're not morally culpable for that kind of fleeting desire that you didn't direct or it doesn't arise from any purpose in you. Uh, you're not culpable for it. We would say, yes, that's emotion arising out of our original sin, our corrupt nature. That is sin. That We deserve damnation for that. Um, that's the reformational view of that. And so what we would say is all of it condemns us, but at the same time recognize, yes, there's a distinction in heinousness. Uh, some sins are worse than others, but it doesn't mean the little ones don't condemn us as well. Sounds like the difference is, is more in, in, in reference to the nature of salvation, not. That's right. You're, you're, both are, are describing differences in sin. Mm -hmm. That's right. One's, one's worse than the other one, mm -hmm. but it's the nature of salvation, the nature of God's grace working in us, and those things. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's fair to say. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do the level of offense dictate your standing either in heaven or hell? Does the level of offense dictate your standing either in heaven or hell? I would say hell, yes. I do think there's a greater judgment for greater heinous sins, yes. Um, they all deserve God's eternal wrath and curse, but I think more heinous sins do lead to uh, greater judgment in hell. In heaven, I would say no, um, because we have Christ's righteousness, um, and that's the basis for our entrance into heaven. Now, there may be rewards for the positive good, but I don't think sin gets you a lower place in heaven. I think hell. Uh, I think um, the, the rewards aspect is more on the positive side. There's not the negative side in heaven. That's right. Hmm. Mm -hmm. so, uh, Judas and right. I think, uh, yeah. Brutus, Pilate are there, hmm. the lowest part of the mm -hmm. So they, at least on that, they Yeah, that's right. Things. For sure. The other side is, uh, it's interesting how mm -hmm. natural man and society grade eight uh, sins, because mm -hmm. at the top of the list, 
is something like racism and sexual sin, mm -hmm. where the scriptures don't even really talk about race, racism directly. But that's one of the, you know, Hitler is up there because he was uh, genocidal and he was a racist. So he's, he's in the lowest mm -hmm. of society. Right, right, yeah, and that's right. Society does have its own sins and its own ranking of heinousness. We need to be careful not to fall into society's view of these things. We need to let God's word direct what makes something heinous or not. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, Ward, and then I want to go to the payoff after Ward. Right, right. No, that's a great point. Um, I would say it is more of the collective, because he's speaking of them in this collective sense of all the, how does it start again? Um, let me get that, that language. Um, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of, of men. So it's speaking collectively. This isn't saying in every individual case, if you experience same-sex attraction, you've gone down the same pro progression. But I, so I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, this is the collective. Like, and we, we grow up in a place that now um, not only says tolerate sin, but now it's if you don't affirm sin, you are now cast out. Um, and so we're growing up in this place that, that is already way downhill on, on this, this slide of Romans 1. And that affects, affects things, and that affects and disorients, uh, disorders our desires. Um, so thank you for that word. That was very good. Um, so why does this matter? Um, the, um, I think the Ascension Presbytery, which is Presbytery over just west of us over in Pennsylvania in the PCA, they released a study report last year, and I think it's very good. Um, and I'll, I'll get to actually the main point of it in a moment. But they're talking about heinousness and how it's important for all of us in, a, in, in our sanctification and pastorally. This is important for us. Here's what they say. Understanding heinousness helps Christians to treat and fight their sins adequately. If some sins are more heinous and are not treated as such, Scripture indicates a danger of treating a sin too lightly for the sake of the people and the preacher. It says preacher because it's in a kind of a ministry context trying to equip um, uh, leaders of the church. The result of inadequate warning and repentance was the terror of festering sins and severe, severe discipline and judgment. So what the point of this heinousness, all this heinousness talk is, is one, not to let any of us off the hook for any of our less heinous sins. That is not the goal here at all. It is, we need to kill our tiniest little sins that we commit. But the point here is to raise the alarm when we see heinous sins, because that is serious. A heinous sin does indicate that there's some level of, of hardness of heart that we need to work through underneath it. There's some other work that we need to do spiritually in your heart to un, undo that. Because sin, even as Romans 1 said, sin is a judgment. Like The fact that we are sinning is a judgment upon our sin nature. And we need to repent and we need to clearly decide in our hearts and decide with brothers and sisters in Christ to attack and to treat that sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we see, when we see the, the flag of heinousness go up, we need to grow increasingly alarmed 
at our own sin and say, we need to kill the sin. Again, it's not to, to minimize the importance of killing little sin, but there is a reality that there are some sins worse than others, and it's not just okay. Here's where it comes to our day and age, and of course, time is out now. Uh, I've got two and a half minutes. Here's where it comes to our day and age in the church, right? Even in the PCA. Um, the question is this, is homosexual lust more heinous than heterosexual lust? Is homosexual lust more heinous than heterosexual lust? That's the question. Um, and there's been a debate for the last five years in the PCA because many people equate the two and say these are identical and exactly the same. Or they'll even say homosexual lust or even homosexual practice is just as bad as gluttony. And this whole discussion of heinousness says, no, that's not true. Yes, we need to deal with gluttony. I'm not saying that, but I am saying, yes, homosexuality is a greater level of heinousness than other sins. It is a greater level of sin than heter homosexual lust is a greater heinousness than heterosexual lust. And that's the whole point of the study committee report. If you want it, I can give it to you. It's a great, well-done report uh, teasing this out, reviewing actually the work of a former teaching elder in the PCA who's talking about these things, and they do a great job pointing out the errors. And this really gets into how we care for and minister to people who experience same-sex attraction. I don't think it does them any good to say, oh, you know what? This is, uh, this is just like gluttony, right? We all struggle with gluttony. Yes, we're all sinners. We all struggle with all kinds of sin. But it doesn't do them any good to not raise the, the alarm and say, hey, we need to kill this sin. This is not a naturally ordered desire that you have. And now, heterosexual lust, we need to kill that sin as well. We need to sit down and talk about that as well. But we can't get, let the homosexual lust off the hook because it's just the same as, you know, as, as gluttony or is the same as these other truly less heinous sins. Um, and so I think that's the, where the payoff comes in the church today. We need to be very careful about these things. And other things, right? Transgenderism, um, these, these things as well, uh, are more heinous. They're against nature. They're against uh, how we were created to be. And so we need to be very careful to not allow the world's thinking, and even in the church, we need to be careful how we talk about sin and levels of heinousness. John? I think that's a, a good way, yeah, to think of it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and uh, certain sins, and that's probably why leaders. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So that is probably why there's a greater focus That's right. That's very good. Very well said. Very well said. Anything else? Well, Any parting comments? Yeah. <laughs> Right. That's right. That's right. It is. It's 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 dis, it's against nature. Whereas you're right, gluttony is not against nature, because we do by nature. Food is a good thing, and food is a d desirable thing. Um, but we need to control our desire for it. Um, whereas homosexuality is against nature. This is not how we were made to be. Um, and so that raises the level of heinousness there. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, I just think there's got to be compassion for Absolutely. people that 
Absolutely. Oh, there should be great compassion. Absolutely. No question about it. Um, you, you don't, um, you, no, no matter what the sin is, a murderer, in pr- a murderer in prison, right? Great compassion for them, right? Again, we're not vengeance. We're, our, our job here is not to, to mete out vengeance on people. There's great compassion for them. But at the same time, calling them back from sin and not belittling the sin that they're in uh, is, what, is what this is, is doing. That's right. To leave us there is the ultimate That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. It is it is a merciful thing to know the heinousness of our sin. That's very very well said. And I do want to leave us with um, the larger catechism uh, does a good job of of leaving us with some hope here. And so I want to do that uh, really quickly if I can oh, I lost my spot here. Um, Oh, here we go. So this is, what does every sin deserve at the hands of God? Every sin, even the least, being against the sovereignty, goodness, and holiness of God and against his righteous law, deserve deserve his wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come, which you've heard all of this, and I love this last phrase, and cannot be expiated but by the blood of Christ. It cannot be expiated but by the blood of Christ. There is hope, brothers and sisters. The blood of Christ is that which purges us of our sin and then grows us in sanctification that we can die to sin and live under righteousness. It's the blood of Christ. And today we get to celebrate the resurrection of the Savior who died for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we have the blood of Christ who expiates our sin, who takes it off of us and puts it upon his own shoulders to bear the wrath and curse for us. In this we rejoice and we pray that you would help us to grow, yes, in compassion for others and even in compassion for ourselves, but also in resolve to kill our sin. May we be enabled to do this by your spirit. Oh Lord, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Thank you.